Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. The mindsets that we have and how God may want to challenge and change some of our mindsets as a church, as Christians, as His children. And um, I want to ask you the question this morning, have you ever been told that what you are doing is wrong? Have you ever had someone say to you that what you are doing or the way you are doing it is wrong? Give me a, a shake. I can't. Yeah. Okay, you're going to have to give me some head bobs today. You, you have. Good. I'm not the only one. My children are masters at this. They love to tell me when I'm doing something wrong. Here's another thought, another example. Anyone have a, a, a backseat driver? They're very vocal, aren't they, in telling you, oh, you should have turned there, or you should have indicated, or you, shouldn't, you should slow down, or stop doing burnouts. They are very vocal in telling you <laughs> what you shouldn't be doing. My wife calls me out on things all the time. Bless her. I do love her. And I thought this week I'll do something really nice for her. And I thought, you know what? She's wanted some new perfume. So I was going to get her a nice, expensive fragrance. Got a little tin of petrol. Have you noticed the price of petrol right now? That's expensive, man. That is love and care at its best. But when, you know, when someone tells you you're doing it wrong, my kids do it all the time. My little son, he's five years old, and he is a germaphobe. He does not like germs. And he has this thing about how you have to wash your hands for at least two minutes after you go to the toilet. And he's a police officer with it. There are times, and I'm not even joking, when he will know that I am headed to the toilet, and he'll go and stand near the toilet. Not in the toilet. That'd be weird. But he'll stand in the, in the hallway or in the, in near the bathroom, and he'll be waiting for me to come out so he can police how I've washed my hands. And if I don't wash them long enough, or if I don't get the knuckles, he'll say, Dad, you didn't do that right. You need to wash your hands again. There's germs on your hands. He's like a police officer. The other time I get it is when um, so my day off is on a Thursday, and I volunteer to do the school run on a Thursday on my day off so my wife can have a sleep in. You can go, oh, there if you want. I was looking for a bit of like sympathy, but no. No, no. All the ladies are like, no, uh, uh. <laughs> but I'll do things and I'll, and I'll just get told that's not how you do it. That is the wrong way. You don't cut my sandwich like that. Do you not know how to cut crust off a sandwich, Dad? That is not how you make cornflakes. What? How many ways are there to make cornflakes? You put them in a bowl and you put milk in them. No, mum does it a different way. I'm always being told that I'm not doing it the right way, that I'm not doing the right thing. Here's another question. Have you ever said to God that he's not doing things the right way? Have you ever told God that perhaps the way his plan has worked out is not how you would have done it? Or have you ever said to, to, to God, you know what? This is not a great idea. What are you doing? 
It should look like this. Just me. If you ever have, I think you're in good company. I think there are many people, probably the people sitting next to you and around you that have at times asked God, what are you doing? You're doing this the wrong way, God. Your plan is not working the way that it should. I think we're actually in good company because we see through the Bible that there are multiple occasions where people who God had called and anointed and equipped for ministry and for life, where they come to him and they say, what are you doing? You, uh, the way you're doing this is not right. There is a mindset in their minds that says, God, you don't really know what you're doing. But we're not necessarily called to understand. We are called to trust. And there will be times when we don't fully understand what God is doing or why God is doing it. But we are called to, in those moments, trust him, aren't we? To trust that he knows what he's doing. To trust that he has a plan, that he has an idea, that he knows what he is doing. This morning we're going to read from a passage of scripture. We're going to read a big chunk that speaks of a story or a picture where we see potentially some of the disciples getting their minds challenged by God. They've got a mindset of how things should be and God challenges their mindset. And I've titled this, Stop, Look, and listen. Stop, look, and listen. Do you remember they used to say that? When you were crossing the road, they made a song out of it. Stop, look, and listen. That was my audition, Marit. You weren't looking for the worship team. Stop, look, and listen. Bad? <laughs> Make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. But you know what? They've actually added to it now. It's stop, look, listen, and think. Before you cross the road. That's just a bit of uh, useless information for you this morning. I'm going to read this chunk of scripture and then we're going to go into it and break it down. But stop, look and listen. It comes from Matthew chapter 17 and the first verse. Lockie, if you could start my clock. Thank you very much. Just helps me to know where I'm at. Verse 1, it says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, whom brings me, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified. And they fell face down on the floor. Then Jesus came over and touched them. And he said, get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. Verse 9, as they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. We have this 
magnificent encounter, this absolutely incredible moment in history. And I want to make it clear that this is not a parable. This is not some figure of speaking. This actually took place, referred to as the transfiguration or the transformation. And uh, this is an actual historical event that took place. So you've got to know that from the start. It's not just the picture that God's giving us. This took place. And that makes it even more incredible that it physically happened. We read in the first verse, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and he led them up to a high mountain to be alone. So we see from the start that this is not the disciples' initiative. This is Jesus' initiative. This is Jesus' invitation to the disciples. He says to them, come up to this mountain, basically, so they could be alone. He wants to bring them away from the crowd. He wants to bring them away from the group, from the other disciples. He chooses three of them to come to the top of this mountain, and it says to be alone. Can I ask you, how do you respond to the prompting of God to come away? How do you respond to the call of God when he says, come away from that. Let's go over here and spend some time with me. Jesus often withdrew. Jesus often walked away from the group, from the busyness, from the chaos to spend some time with the Father. And there's times when he calls the disciples aside and he says, come over here. Let's go over here. Let's just stop what we're doing. Let's just stop all the motion, the commotion, all the busyness, and let's spend some time together. I'm not sure if you've ever felt that prompting before. Maybe you have where you're going through the day and you know that something's off or you just need to get aside just to get into his word, just to listen to some worship, just to, 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 to pray, just to be with him. How do we go with stopping? How do we go with just taking that time when Jesus leads us and says, come away, just come, just come and be with me. Let go of everything that's happening and just spend some time away with me. Do we see that as an invitation or an inconvenience? Do we see that as an invitation from Jesus to come and to be with him, to, to spend time with him, to enjoy him? Or do we think, man, that's a bit of an inconvenience right now. I've got so much to do. Does Jesus not know that I'm pretty much running the world? Doesn't Jesus know what's on my to-do list? Doesn't he know the stress and the pressure that I have? But this is an invitation from God to come aside. What is stopping you from being away and stopping with him? What are some of the things that may be stopping you from stopping to be with him? Maybe it's your thoughts. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's the thing, you, the, the, the intensity of life, the pressure. I've been, you know, as I've been spending time with God, even through this prayer and fasting, I've just been having, I feel like he's just resonating this thing in my spirit and just saying, change the pace and seek my face. Change the pace and seek my face. My life is hectic. There's pressure. Everywhere I look, it feels like there's demands. But I've got to get away. 
Do you know that time away with him can stop you from falling away from him? Just having that time where you draw aside and you're in his word or you're worshipping, that time where you're just praying and you're seeking, that time that you set aside to be with him, it can stop you from falling away, from drifting away from his presence, from the things that are important to him. And this was an invitation to the disciples. They left the group and they went to be with him. Stop. How do you go with stopping? I've had to learn this myself. The world still revolves when I take a day off. Who would have thought it? The church still happens if I take a day off, if there's no guitar. God is still in control if I go on holiday. Do you know, God is still in control if you just take a breather. And when he, I'm saying this particularly when he says, come away. Come and spend time with me. Come and, show, come and have a look at what I've got for you in the word. And so these men, they went aside with Jesus. And in verse 2, it says, as the men watched, stop, look. As they watched, Jesus appeared Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as light. As they're watching, Jesus starts to shine. His face is like the sun. And so shiny, shiny is he that it affects his clothing. His clothing starts to glow as well. There's this shining. There's this glory that is being manifest in Jesus as they get aside and they watch. As they look, they see this, this, this glory in his face as they come aside. You know, Jesus is personal and purposeful in his interactions with us. He's personal in the way that he interacts with us, but he's also purposeful. When he brings us aside, when he shows us something in the scriptures, you know that he's wanting to do something in you. He's wanting to give a gift to you. Or he's wanting, wanting to show you something that you did not know before. To give you revelation that you didn't have before. Not just so you've got more information, but so that you can experience transformation. The transfiguration was for their transformation. Jesus did this to show them that he was the glorified one. That he was glorious. And they came away and they saw Jesus there. He turned into, his face starts to shine. He's purposeful in this interaction. This is not a party trick. This is not Jesus saying, hey guys, come, come, come up here on the mountain. I'm going to show you the newest trick that I learned. This is like so cool. It's going to blow you away. Ready? Watch. Bing! Starts getting glorified. He's not doing it to show off. He's not doing it to just do some sort of party trick for them. There's purpose in him being transfigured before them. I can you know, imagine them. It's like, watch this. And the guys are like, whoa, that's incredible. And James is like, man, you're so cool. Turn water into wine again. We like that one. You know, there was purpose in all of his miracles. 
There's purpose in his interactions with us. He's wanting to teach these three men something. He's wanting to show them that there is something here. But first, for him to show them, he needs their attention. He needs them to look at him. He needs them to watch him, to stop and to look and see him. And as they watch him, he is transfigured. That word transfigured is actually the word uh, metamorpho. And we looked at this two weeks ago when we had a look at uh, Romans 12. Remember Romans 12? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is metamorpho. It's the same word that is used in the transfiguration. And it, it, it's speaking of this total change of form. Like, like there was something incredible that took place. Something miraculous took place. The total change of form. Like he was shining and radiating glory. They sh- and he brings these three men to see this. So... He's got their attention, but they need to look a little bit closer. Can I say that to us, church? That sometimes you look and you see, but sometimes you need to look a little closer. Sometimes you need to dig a little deeper to see what what, what God is actually wanting to show you in this picture. So here's a question that we want to ask in order for us to look a little clearer today. Why was it the three of them that Jesus took aside? Have you ever wondered why? He took aside Peter, James, and John to see this. Have you ever wondered why it was just the three of them? Why didn't he show this miracle to all of the disciples? Surely they could have all benefited from it. But I believe there was a a, a specific purpose for him showing these three in particular this miracle. Now, if we want to move forward, sometimes we have to look backwards. So let's look back to Matthew chapter 16, which comes before Matthew chapter 17. And the first, the first line in Matthew 17 says, six days after this, he took them away. So there is a connection to what came previously. Okay, what happens in Matthew 16? Matthew 16, Jesus asks, who, who are people saying that I am? And Peter gives the revelation of the Christ. And Jesus says to him, well done. You didn't receive this revelation from man, but from my Father in heaven who showed this to you. So Peter has this kind of miraculous moment where he receives the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. What happens after that is is then in verse 21. So he's just had this revelation. They know that he is the Christ. And then in verse 21, it says, from this point, after they have this revelation, he says, From then on, Jesus began to tell the disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. So now they've got this revelation of who he is and now he starts to tell them what's going to take place. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be handed over. He's going to suffer greatly. He's going to be killed, but he's going to rise again. And look at Peter's response in verse 22. Peter takes Jesus aside. Peter takes Jesus aside and he says to him, NLT says he begins to reprimand him. He tells him off. 
And he says, for saying such things, he says, heaven forbid, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. So Jesus tells Peter, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be resurrected. And Peter's like, no way. That is a bad plan. God, heaven forbid that should happen to you. And, you know, probably from that place of concern for his, his, his master, his brother, the leader that's been taking him. He's like, no, what a bad plan. I can just imagine Peter quoting Jeremiah 29.11 to Jesus. But, 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 but Jesus, don't you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. A plan to prosper you and not to harm you. Oh, snap. And what does, Peter, what does Jesus say to Peter then? He rebukes him and he says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. Why? You're a dangerous trap to me. Why? Because you are seeing things from a human point of view. Not from God's. So this is going to make a little bit more sense when we look at why then Jesus took them away so that he could show them the glory. There's actually three instances where Jesus brings these three men aside by themselves. And I believe he gives them three looking lessons. Because in these instances, the only thing they're asked to do in one is to just pray. In the other, watch. In the other, watch. In the other, watch me pray, but you pray also. So here are the three things. We, we see this take place with Jairus' daughter. Jesus gets the call to come, and, and Jairus' daughter is dead, and Jesus comes, and, and the whole crowd around is saying, you know, no, she's already dead. You're too late. You can't, you know, and he's like, she's just sleeping. Let me go in. He goes into the room, and who does he invite into the room? Just the three. It's only the three. The rest of them could have come in, but there was something that, that, needed to, that these guys needed to see. And so he brings these three into the room. He prays. Talita Kumai calls her to arise. She comes to life right before their eyes. What's really interesting in Mark chapter 5 is then he says to those three, don't tell anyone that happened. So the purpose was that they see it, and God does something personally in them to prepare them for what they're about to go through. But don't have to tell anyone with that. We then see the transfiguration. So again, the three men are brought to the top of the mountain and they see Jesus glorified. And at the end of that, what does he say? Don't tell anyone else until after my death. So hold on to this. This is for you. Okay? And then the last time is in Gethsemane. He invites Particularly, the disciples come and then he asked Peter, James, and John to come a little closer. To come in a little closer and to watch and to pray. Three times that they're asked to come with him to this place. Now, here's what each instance has. It's connected to death. Okay? The first, we see Jairus, Jairus' daughter. And Jesus brings the disciples, these three men in. And they see that he has power over death. When he brings her back to life. They see that Jesus is victorious over death. Here is lesson number one, Peter, James and John. You're going to need to know this. Because at some point, 
you're going to be faced with this very thing. And you need to understand that Jesus has victory over death. The second thing we see is that the transfiguration shows, after he's talked about how he's going to be he's crucified and then resurrected, he brings them to show that through his death, he will actually be glorified. And they need to know this as well, because through their death, eventually, they will experience the glory of God. And then we see in Gethsemane that he brings them to see that he himself was submitted to the Father's will to die. Remember his prayer in Gethsemane, which he asked them to watch. Not my will, but yours be done. And they needed to understand that at some point, that their lives would be, need to be so submitted to the Father's will that they were prepared to lose it. And if you read the end of Matthew chapter 16, that's exactly what he says to them. He rebukes Peter, and then he says, anyone who wants to follow me has to be prepared to lose their life. They've got to be prepared to lay down their life. What does it profit you if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And so he brings these three men into this lesson to say that he has victory over death. Come on. That is a lesson for you this morning. That he is the one who has, holds the keys to life and death. He is the one who has victory over death. And he is glorified through the passage of death as the Father had purposed for him. And he submitted himself even unto death. Became obedient even to the point of death. And you know what? Because of his sacrifice and because he first went through that, you and I are caught up in that. We too will experience these things. But this is a lesson for them. He's wanting to tell them that this is what's going to take place. But they needed to look and watch what he was doing. Then we read verse 3 and it says, Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. So he's just, he's just shining all glorified. And then let's make, this, let's make this picture even more incredible because now Moses and Elijah rock up. Moses and Elijah, they appear. What? This is like Michael Jordan for me. It's like if I walked into the shops and I saw Nick Natanui, I'd be like, what? Can you imagine these three Jewish boys and, and they're heroes of faith? Moses, this mighty man of God. Elijah, this mighty prophet of God. And, and right there with Jesus. Can you imagine the excitement they would have had? Whoa! Moses is here. James is here. Elijah. They're like they're heroes. They know the, the role they've played in the outworking of God's redemptive plan for humanity. There's, wow. Not only is Jesus glowing, but Moses and Elijah. This is incredible. So we asked why Peter, James, and John. Let's ask the question, why Moses and Elijah? Why all of a sudden did Moses and Elijah rock up? And I think, again, there is purpose in what God is trying to show them so that they will be prepared for their future. We know that Moses was representative of the law. 
And Elijah was representative of the prophets. And so we have a picture right here where Jesus is glorified and the law and the prophets are next to him. Wow, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. What's God wanting to show them? That the law took place and had its place, that the prophets took place and had their place, but there was one who was greater than the law, and there was one who was greater than the prophets. His name is Jesus. He is his son. And until that point in time, they were led by the law and the prophets. They looked to the law and the prophets. But from here on in, he wanted them to know that there is one who is greater than the law and the prophets. There is one who would fulfill the law and the prophets. There is one who is supreme to the law and the prophets. His name is Jesus, and he is glorious. The law had glory, but it faded. The prophets pointed to the glory, but it faded. Jesus' glory will never fade. And these men would have known the story of Moses, who went to the top of the mountain, just like this mountain, and had an encounter with God in Exodus 34. And his face, the Bible says, shone as he reflected the glory of God. He has this encounter, and now Jesus is shining. Just like Moses shone. His face shone and now Jesus is shining. Wow. But what they probably didn't realize at that point was that Moses' face and the glory that reflected upon him faded. But the glory that is in Jesus will not fade. That the glory that was on Moses' face, as we see in Exodus 34, was because of the proximity and the presence of God. It was reflective glory. But here in this picture, we see Jesus radiating glory. It's not coming from an external source. As with Moses' face, the, the, the glory of God shone on him and he reflected it. Right now, the glory of God is shining through Jesus. He's wanting them to see that, 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 that Jesus is the supreme one. That Jesus is greater than the law and the prophets. And that Jesus would fulfill the law and the prophets. And they needed to look to him. He wants to teach them this. And then we see Peter do what we do. Ready? Peter's, this is Peter's response. He totally misses the point. Peter goes, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. Oh my goodness, thank you for choosing us. We, we are so grateful that we're here. Thank you for bringing us to this point. And then he says... If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great glory. Listen to him. And the disciples were terrified, and they fell on their face. And we see, that, we see this, like, this incredible scene happening. And rather than just watching it, Peter's like, I've got to do something. Jesus probably wants me to add to this. I mean, like, this isn't glorious enough because I can do something right now that would help this story. I could add, I, I, I could, I, I, if it's good, I'll just build some tents. I'll, I'll build some tabernacles. I'll, I'll build some shelters. One for you, one for you, and one for you. If that's good, I, I'll, I'll do that. 
what's happening, if you read in um, Mark's, Mark's account of this, you'll see that it says that Peter didn't know what he was saying. He was so overwhelmed with this moment that he just started talking. And he came to this kind of natural thing that we tend to do as humans where we think we need to add to God's work. Where his work is not really just enough without us building something on top of it. Without us adding to it. Look at church history. You will see that we are saved by grace. Salvation is a gift of God. Not by anyone's earning, not by anyone's working, lest we boast. Yet, the church has been great at adding works to salvation, at mixing in so that we, 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 you know, we actually feel like we've kind of deserved it or we feel like we've kind of earned it. Look at the Catholic Church. It became a mess of this mixture of works and penance and all these different things that, that were not necessary for salvation. Salvation is His work. The constant message through the New Testament, cease from your works, rest in His work. Salvation is a matter of you turning, repenting, believing, and receiving. You don't need to, to build a temple. You don't need to build a temple that, that majestic of God for you. But I'm going to add to this. You know what? When they read this moment in history, they're going to know about the three tents as well. It's not just the transfiguration and, and, and Moses and Elijah. Peter will be there too in Peter's tents. And churches will be talking about Peter's tents for years. Like we, we, we just have this kind of natural propensity toward trying to add to it. But all he said was, come and watch, come and look. Experience this because I'm going to do something in you and through you as a matter of, of, from this. And so Peter does what we tend to do, which is not just receive the work of God, not just receive those good things, but to then try to, try, try to add to it. You can't. And until you understand that, the work that we do do is often built on that. Yes, God wants to work through us. Yes, he has chosen to build things through us. But we have to have the foundation that that is not about earning. It's not about getting his attention. It's not about any of those things. It's coming from that place that he has accepted me. He has saved me. And from there, I will minister. From there, I will work. From there, I will build. Not, Jesus, let me do this. So there's one thing that's at play here. But what else do we see that's at play? We see that Peter obviously had it in his mind that the three of them were equal. Because he says, let me build three tents for all three of you. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. Why? Because you're the same. You're equal. You guys are the, you're basically the same thing. This is in Peter's mind. But again, God's like, no, you need to get this lesson. They're not equal. Jesus has no equal. He doesn't have an equal. And so as Peter is talking, as he's making this profession of what he will do, a cloud descends and covers him. God's polite way of saying, shush. As he is speaking, this cloud floods over him. Shh. Stop talking, Peter. A cloud. And even as he's speaking, another voice speaks. And this other voice says, 
This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. This is my son, my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Here is the finish of this, the, the lesson for Peter. You've got to listen to Jesus. You stop, you look, but now you've got to listen to Jesus. He is the one that the Father wants you to listen to. See, the law and the prophets all pointed to Jesus. They all spoke of how Jesus would come. They, they directed to Jesus, but we have to listen to Jesus. We've got to listen to him. And so as they, they, he, he's talking and he's equalizing them and saying, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, God says, this is my son. Listen to him. And the voice is so powerful that they fall to their faces. They fall flat on their face. And look at what happens when they come up. It says then, Jesus came over and touched them and said, get up. He said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. What a lesson. Moses and Elijah they did their part. They pointed to the Messiah. They pointed to the Christ who would come and would, would then take on. If you look at what they were talking about, it says at the start there that, they were, that Moses and Elijah were talking. Have a look in Luke's account. He, t- he says that they were talking about his departure or the word exodus that he was about to take embark on. They knew the part that they had played and they were pointing to Jesus who would come and fulfill the promises of God, who would fulfill the law, who would fulfill the word of the prophets, And he would be the one that is left. And so as they look up, Moses is gone, Elijah is gone, and it's just Jesus. Jesus is the one that you're supposed to listen to, he says. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. This is a lesson for us as a church. This is a lesson for us when we interpret, when we we come to the Old Testament. Do you know that Jesus is the hermeneutical key for the Old Testament? Jesus is the hermeneutical key. Hermeneutical meaning the study or, or principle or how we interpret Scripture. Jesus is the one which we interpret the Old Testament by. As you open the Old Testament, you don't just read to Jesus, you read through Jesus. We look through the filter of Jesus at what the law was talking about. We look through the filter of Jesus at what the prophets spoke about. He becomes our hermeneutical key, the one by which we filter the Old Testament, by which we read through the Bible. He is the one which we use. Why? Because the Father said, listen to Him. Listen to Him. You can get a mixed up Christianity when, you, when you're trying to li- like live the law when you're not listening to Jesus and you're not looking at it through Jesus' lens. So listen to Him. He fulfilled that. And then the the, the voice says, this is my son. You know, he has no equal. He has absolutely no equal. Moses is not equal to Jesus. Elijah is not equal to Jesus. Gandhi is not equal to Jesus. Can I say science is not equal to Jesus? Medicine is not equal to Jesus. Like Jesus is greater than everything. 
And when we try and make him down to fit in the little tent of understanding, we diminish the glory that is sitting before us. May you capture his face. May you see his face. And I love that bit there. If, if we can get the team to come up. I love that at the end there. That when they looked up, they saw only Jesus. Church, may we see Jesus. And may we see only Jesus. May our vision be of him. May we see him clearly. When you open the scriptures, my prayer is that you see Jesus. When you worship, my prayer is that you see Jesus. When you converse with your brothers and sisters, my prayer is that you see Jesus. I'm not diminishing Moses or Elijah. They played their part. But Jesus is the one that we look to. They did what they were called to, but Jesus is the one. Let's look to Jesus. And how is this with his grace, right? He comes over to them. They fall flat on their faces. And he comes over and he touches them. Puts his hand out. Touches them. They've just had this lesson. They've kind of had a bit of a mind check, reality check, whatever they want. And Jesus comes over and touches them. The father has just said, listen to him. What's the first thing he says to them? Arise. Stand up. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be filled with fear. There's this miraculous, incredible thing that they've just witnessed. They've heard the audible voice of God. They've heard this. They've been clouded. Then he comes and he puts his hand on them and says, come on, get up. Don't be afraid. There was a purpose in you seeing this. And what you're going to experience in the future, you're going to need to draw on some of this. You're going to know that, that he has victory over death that he'll be glorified through. You've got to submit your life to God's will to the degree that you are ready to do whatever he says. And then he says, don't tell anyone else this until I come, until I, until I rise. Hold on to this lesson. Oh, that we would see Jesus for who he really is. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.